I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Greetings from the hill country of Central Texas. I'm Amos Fox, and this is Revolution and Military Affairs. Today's episode is part two of our discussion with Major General Pat Donahoe. I uh, hope you appreciated and enjoyed the uh, the first segment of this two-part discussion with General Donahoe. Uh, this one gets into uh, a lot more detail about our uh, our experiences uh, together, and uh, I think you'll find it really, really, uh, really insightful and really interesting. So. Thank you for listening, and uh, with that, we'll get started with Major General Pat Donahoe. So with that, sir, what, do you have any, uh, any, any reflections thus far on Russia-Ukraine, and uh, what, what are some big takeaways, or perhaps even small takeaways, that actually have potentially big consequences that we, we haven't necessarily looked at yet at this point? Yeah. Well, since that four-star is not here to throw me out... Um... <laughs> you know, again, I, I think logistically, we're the, the heavy force is logistically fragile, yep. and, um, and and we have got we have got to fix the logistic fragility, and then we are infantry poor. We've got to fix that. And um, you know, when when we made a decision as an army to take those twenty three companies away, there was a there was a promise that was immediately forgotten that we would, when available, we would bring those formations back, and so. You know, we know we have an infantry weakness in the ABCT. We've got to we've got to get after that. The, so that, so that, just that, right? Logistics fragility and and infantry poor, right? We got to fix we got to fix that. Um, when when you look at the the light infantry units that we have, you know, the M10 Booker is is coming, right? And and we've we've got to we've got to make our infantry or you know our, our leg infantry units actually fightable, right? I mean, if, if you were to, if you were to take the 10th mountain division and go to Ukraine today, I'm not sure what they would do for you. Yeah. Right. And, and we've, we've really got to figure that out. 
The, the other side of it, too, is uh, when I arrived at the 10th Mountain Division as a colonel about to be one star, um, you know, I, I did what I always do, right? Because we're, we're, as the heavy force guys, we're, you know, training is very, you know, you know, hey, here's how we train. Let's go, let's, let's look at our simulations. How are we using, you know, range time? How are we, you know, doing this? So sure enough, there were zero qualified javelin gunners in the division, right? Because the only way you could, well, the only way you qualify a javelin is in a simulator. We hadn't used the simulator in like six months at Fort Drum. And so, you know, part of this is hey, we, we actually have to train, right? And train those things that are meaningful. And, and part of that is, is, is all that. The, the other thing I think we've really got to take uh, from, from watching this evolution of, um, you know, the character of warfare in Ukraine, but also in, you know, Nagorno-Karabakh, uh, you know, of course, I've butchered the pronunciation of that. But, you know, as, as we look at Azerbaijan and, and Armenia fight, right, and we look at, we look at what occurred in Aleppo, we look at Mosul, we look at what we've learned in Iraq and Afghanistan, um, you know, we've got to update our understanding of the character of warfare. And then we've got to look at, uh, you know, the Dotmol PF way in which we, you know, organize, train, equip, you know, fight our forces. So as an example, right? So, uh, so I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an annoying amateur, you know, amateur historian, right? So, so a year and a half ago, I went and walked, uh, I went and walked the British World War One battlefields in France and Belgium. And in, in, in the work up to that, so that I was not an idiot when I got there, I, I, I read, you know, read, I, I read like 10 books on, you know, the British experience on the Somme and at, uh, you know, the Canadians at Vimy Ridge and, and, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the salient around, you know, Ypres, right? What amazed me, because of course the, the, the discussion's always been that the British were, you know, they were led by donkeys. There was no learning going on in the British Army. They just kept doing the same thing. Well, that's utterly false, right? The Brits built four separate armies over the four years of the, the First World War. Every year, it's a completely different army. And so if you look at that, the evolution of the British infantry platoon uh, from 1914 to 1918, it's, fan, it's fantastic. Um in, in 1914, it is the infantry platoon is four squads of riflemen, right? There's no other weapons. It's rifle. By 18, final year of the war, an infantry squad is, or an infantry platoon is one squad of riflemen, a squad of bombers. Those are Mills bombers, grenade throwers, right? So these are guys, they've still got a Lee Enfield, but they're, they're the folks throwing grenades, right? And so they're bombing their way through the no man's land and into the end, you know, into the opposing trenches. They've got another squad that is rifle grenades. So they're the guys who launched the first salvo, you know, at the enemy trenches as the riflemen and the bombers are trying to make their way forward. The fourth squad is the light machine gun squad, right? So mainly Lewis guns, right? And, and so, you know, you talk about the evolution of the organization, uh, that's, that's pretty revolutionary, right? They, of course, they had the luxury of losing, you know, you know, 10 million warfighters being killed between 14 and 18 on both sides, right? So they've got this, they've, they've got the luxury of the driver of combat to, to force them to make these changes and these lessons. So if you look at ourselves, right, and what we're seeing in Ukraine, where in our formations are 
um, loitering munitions. Where where in our formations are you know these short range suicide you know drones, right? Um, where where in our formations are our EW capabilities, but, you know, and then and then that's that's attack, right? Okay, now let's talk defend. We're, if we know we're going to have this swarm of drones over us dropping grenades on us, how do we defend our formations for that? Where in the form? And you know, so you got to you got to make an equipment decision, right? And then you got to have an, you know an organization and doctrine decision on how do you do that, right? Because we could make a decision: hey, every vehicle in an armor brigade combat team or a striker brigade combat team is going to have some anti-drone device on it. Okay. Well, I mean, the tank's not heavy enough right now, right? So we'll put trophy on it, and then we'll put some other anti-drone thing on it, and then some other, you know, EW Duke kind of thing. And, I mean, after a while, yeah, we're at the 400-ton tank, right? Okay, great. And then we'll talk about the tank's rel- relevancy again, right? <laughs> so you really got to figure out where in the formation, how do you protect the formation? What do you protect it with? And then where is it? And then how do you, how do you, you know, operate with it? How do you doctrinally employ it, right? But, you know, we got to, we got to figure that out. Yeah. Right. I mean, the Israelis right now, you know, they're, they're being confronted by that. Right. I mean, we watch the, we'll watch the video. You know, again, this is the 13th of October. The the war started on the 7th of October. I've already seen a video of a, you know, a, uh, a quadcopter dropping a small munition on a Merkava and the Merkava ends up burning. Right. So, okay. So what, what do we do? Well, I mean, we, we can we can gaze at our naval all we want. We we know these are requirements, and we and we got to figure it out, right? And and we've got to be now the other side now take on how we procure stuff, right? We we've got to write requirements that give us the capabilities we need, and those requirements, those documents have got to be written by folks who care, and they've got to be written by folks who are not trying to get their next job in industry. Right. And they surely shouldn't be written by contractors. Right. Because the problem is when we write a requirement for a for a drone, we get the soldier born sensor. Right. Every squad's going to have a bunch of these. Great. They're eighty five thousand dollars a set. What are we doing? What are we doing? Right. And so we've, we've got and I've said this publicly, you know, UASs need to be, they need to be class five. They need to be disposable. We, we should, we should never think we're getting them back, whether those are reconnaissance or strike. We should, we, and, and if we do that, then we'd build requirements where, Hey, I don't need it to be protected from EMP. Right. Just you're, you're, launch them. you're hitting a, you're hitting a sore spot. We, uh, going back to the good old OIF, uh, deployment in 2005, six that we were both on, um, Man, every time a, a drone would go down, it was like an international incident. You had to herd yeah, yeah. the, the company and go out and find that thing. And it's like, man, this thing costs like 30 bucks at Home Depot, you know? Yep, you'll, you'll love it. Yeah, you know, but it was on our property. The Raven was on our property yeah. booking like $28,000, right? So yeah. you're like, oh, great, right? Yeah. The first time I looked for a drone, I was a captain in Bosnia during I-4. And I spent a lot, of, a lot of time as a battalion commander sending guys out on the Euphrates looking for Ravens. Oh, man. yeah. Madness. Yeah. The uh, so uh, I'm going to jump in on something you said because it, it triggered something based off my own previous uh, experience. The the AT thing, it, it, it's to me interesting that that became this huge uh, this huge data point. This huge oh my god when the when the war with Ukraine started, 
uh, or when Russia invaded Ukraine and Ukraine started having such success with their AT systems during that conflict. And, you know, like as we're discussing this, it reminded me of, uh, you know, during Operation Inherent Resolve during the Battle of Mosul. Prior to that, the U.S. had sold the Iraqis 140 tanks. Again, this is all open source information. And then of that, I don't, uh, the number of tanks that were destroyed and then rebuilt uh, was significant. And most of those tanks were destroyed by, destroyed by AT systems. And you saw that up in Mosul. And then after Mosul ended, when Iraq invaded Kirkuk, uh, or, or the uh, Kurdish region of, of Iraq, and went into Erbil and Kirkuk, uh, that happened again. And Abrams tanks were knocked out by AT systems. And it's, it's going back to the point on convenient narratives and, and learning the things we want to learn. We had that data point ourselves at that point in the 2000, uh, I worked in the headquarters there in 2017, 2018, and we saw that happen and it was barely reported on. And so it's one of those things where perhaps uh, we could have gotten ahead of this game a little bit collectively, the Royal We, the, you know, the international community um, and, and placed bigger emphasis on smaller things. Cause it seems like a lot of times we want to talk about placing bigger emphasis on bigger things, right? High Mars, long range fires, all this. But if you really truly understand combined arms, it's not about having all the cool big stuff. It's about having all the little things working together collectively that help drive uh, success. And so um, that, that that's, a, I think, a really good data point. Um, I'm going to move on from that, sir, since we we're talking about Iraq real quick. So we were both uh, in Iraq together at the same time in the 4th Infantry Division in the uh, terrific War Horse Brigade out of Fort Hood. And uh, I was in... 2nd Battalion, 8th Infantry, uh, gazing over the way at 1st Battalion, 67th Armor, wishing I was over in the Armor Battalion. Then Lieutenant Colonel Pat Donahoe was commanding that battalion. And so I've I've actually known General Donahoe the entire time uh, I've been in the Army, although I don't think he knew me for the first 10 years I was in the Army, but I knew who he was. And so anyway, there was a bit of a, it was a, what would you say, uh, what's that, sharks and jets type dynamic between 2-8 uh, Infantry and 167 Armor back then? But yeah, yeah. Um, all that to say, during that deployment in 2005, 2006, 167, they were, you know, our sister battalion or brother battalion, whichever way you want to flip that coin. Uh, but they were they were on, uh, they fought a battle that I think has been lost to history that I would like uh, General Donahoe to, to call out here. And it was in Musaib uh, during the, uh, it was July, wasn't it, sir? July of 20, uh, July 22nd, 2006. 2006. Yeah, but day, day started like any other day. Yeah, so if you would, sir, go ahead and tell this yeah. story because I think both you, the battalion, and the soldiers that were that were there uh, deserve to hear this or have this story told for them. So yeah. please go ahead, sir. So, so Amos, let me, let me let me back up though, right? Because you talked about you know kind of the sh- you know the sharks and jets relationship <laughs> between two eight and one six seven. Yeah, and so I actually I I always talk about that uh, when I would do. Pre-combat, I mean, uh, uh, pre pre-command courses at, at at Benning, talked about it. Um, uh, you know, I talked about it a lot of places, right? So, so here's here's what I would tell you is that, um, and 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 I and I firmly believe this: the fact that I couldn't develop a personal relationship with the commander of two eight infantry, and the fact that I allowed that relationship to become so dysfunctional that we could not work together as peers in that brigade. You know, I had 17 soldiers killed in my battalion in 2006. 
And, and I don't know which ones would be alive today if I could have had a better relationship with the 2-8 Infantry Commander. I don't know what incident that happened that would not have occurred if I had a better, a better relationship with him. Uh, but I, but I, I, in my heart of hearts, I, I believe that we would not have lost 17 in that battalion. And, uh, and, I, and I carry that in my rucksack, right? And, uh, and, I, and I will tell you, and, I, and I, tell, I tell this to guys getting ready to go into command, I say, hey, look, if you've got a guy who's just difficult to work with for whatever reason, right? Um, and, and, and your commander had a lot, he had a lot of reasons to be angry with 167 armor, right? I mean, he absolutely did. Uh, if you're, if you find yourself in that kind of, in that kind of environment, you, you need to, you need to go over and you need to make amends and you need to repair that relationship. So it's, you, you'll probably never be best friends. Now, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go fishing with him ever. Right. But, but you gotta, your, your brigade commander counts on you to do that. Your soldiers need you to do it. Right. And, and so again, I, you absolutely, you know, you saw it from a, you know, the captain's perspective. Uh, I, I, I failed in my responsibilities as a leader at that level to do what was best for the brigade and and the soldiers in, in my battalion. And so, you know, that's that's the leadership lesson there, right? Um, and so, so you know, I, again, that's I think that's important, right? All right. So now let's talk 22, 22 July. And so, um, so again, we had. Uh, there were three fights in AO Dealer, right? So uh, uh, the uh, area of operations we had split. Uh, first of all, I'd, I'd east and west of the Euphrates River in the battalion. Uh, we had um, a in the north was very much a Sunni uh, kind of Al Qaeda influenced insurgency in the northern portion of our of our area of operations. In the south, it was in the southeast. It was it was Jam Shia. Yep. And then in the in the west, I had, we, the battalion had the city of Karbala as well, and uh, Karbala was clearly a Badr Badr core operation, you know, wholly owned subsidiary of Badr. All right, so three very very distinct uh, mission set problems, and then of course you had the normal, uh, you know, Iraqi government corruption and et cetera, right? And our police chief in Musayib was pretty corrupt, and uh, what in the morning of the twenty second, the Jaysh al Mahdi. Uh, we're trying to get the the police chief. We we're trying to get the police chief to basically do something, which probably had a bunch of cash transfer associated with it. And uh, and all of a sudden they get they they decided to throw down between the police and Jay Shalmati. And so we had we had basically a Jay Shalmati brigade uh, attack the police in the city of Musayib, and and they were pretty successful. Um, I sent a I sent a young lieutenant uh, named Ryan Kelly. Uh, down to the police, down to the police station, because again, this was kind of before you know we could just launch something to go look at it, right? I mean, we had to, we're, we're talking to division about you know getting the getting the predator shit you know put over. We're talking to the those bastards at brigade to redirect the shadow, right? And uh, and so you know Kevin uh, and uh, uh, Ryan Kelly goes down. He's he's in the he's in the uh, in the police station. Finds out, oh hey, the, there's there's something going on at the a big mosque in town and i forget the name of the mosque and, he, and so so what do we tell him hey man you're a scout go, go see what's going on at the mosque right so he drives into the center of the city into the big circle of the big mosque and immediately volley of rpgs at him right i mean at close range yeah. they open up with all their you know amount of 240s and and get the hell out of the you know out of the circle out of the interchange and come running back home right and uh 
And so we knew we had a problem, right? And uh, but by, by the way, for lieutenants listening, two two of Ryan's two of Ryan's machine guns fail because the machine gun ammo is dirty, mm. right? Because we had been riding around for months yeah. and hadn't and hadn't cleaned the ammunition, been cleaning the weapons, not cleaning the ammo. Two of those weapons fail, um, and so and so we then decide. And, and the good part is we had already gone through a series of planning drills. Uh, at the battalion level on what we would do if we had to retake uh, the city of Musaid because there, there had already been problems in, in, and, around, uh, in and around Iraq where Jaysh al-Mahdi or different elements were rising up and, and, and seizing, you know, seizing communities from the, the local government. Yeah, we had a similar thing in Diwania at that time too because we had to send Yeah, it's like, it's like a month later that the guys yeah. go down to Diwania. Yep. Yeah. And that's two eight. That's two eight infantry's claim to fame, right? <laughs> they had they had Alpha Company one six seven with them, but yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to claim that glory either, right? So the um, and and so then what we did is we we put the plan into action, which was which was really good, right? And uh, and you know one of my company commanders was on leave, so uh, we had we had a company XO who stood in the breach as a company commander there from Bravo Company. And then we came back into came back into town on on three axes, uh, tanks tanks in the lead. We had a uh, we had an we had an Iraqi infantry battalion with us that uh, they were co-located with us right outside our fob, and uh, and they did they did great work. Um, and and um, a guy named Irvin Oliver was the Delta Company commander for us, tank company commander, and uh, one of his tanks fire. I'm going to claim it. Uh, the first use of 120 canister in combat. There's some other. There's some other unit in Fourth ID that claims that as well. But I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't. I don't believe them. I think we had them by a week. Yeah. Uh, we fight that. We fight that whole day, and um, we 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 claim we didn't have the bodies, but we claim we killed 33 Jay Shalmati that day. Uh, we we had one wounded. We had one wounded U.S. Uh, one Iraqi Army KIA. Um, but. That was that, that was that was an incredible, incredible small unit fight, right? Each one of those axes commanded by a captain or one case a first lieutenant, and it was it was staff sergeants, uh, you know, tank commanders and staff sergeant infantry squad leaders who, who made that made that day a success. Um, you know, it did not go without mistakes. It did not go without um, you know decision challenge challenges you know uh, on our part. Uh, but again, it was it was really staff sergeant and captains that that and and and, and a lieutenant who opened the fight with uh, you know m- you know RPG on machine gun fire. But um, but you know the really the surreal part of that, and this was kind of the the coin nature of it all, is at the end of that day, I had I I personally went to the district council in the city of Musaib and sat down uh, over a chicken dinner. Uh, with Thamar Thaban, who was the office of the martyr Sadr leader for the city of Musaib. And as you can imagine, I mean, he was shook over, oh, yeah. what, had, over what had just occurred, right? And he's a, so he's the political representative of the guys we've been killing all day. And, uh, and, I, and I can remember him, you know, and he was just, you know, at dinner and I, I, I threw my interpreter and my interpreter was a Shia. So, you know, I, I really, I really hope that guy's okay today, right? You know, I said, hey, Thamar, I said, you know, I can do this every day. Yeah, I can do it every day, and he was just like, you know, holy shit, because he could not. Yeah. Run. 
Right. And, uh, and then the other great part of that came out was in that meeting, people you were fighting today were, you know, thugs and not listening to the clerics and all this kind of stuff. Right. So yeah. we took that quote, put it on our own little IO pamphlet that we dumped all over the city in violation of every IO regulation, PSYOP regulation and, and stuff. Cause I couldn't get the psyopers at division core, you know, whatever, you know, uh, you know, I was going to say ISAF, but it, you know, they're the same problem, different, different theater. Yeah. Yeah. But it was like, it was like, Hey, screw that, man. We get, we got to get that message out. So we dumped that all over. He, the next time I saw him, he goes, you're trying to get me killed. And I said, so would that be so bad for Bob? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. Great, yeah. great day. Uh, great day for the battalion. Um, yeah, but we, we probably should have understood the environment a little bit better than we did. We should have had should have had a better network to kind of tell us that was coming, right? Yeah, so there's a whole bunch of things we learned that we could have done a whole lot better. Well, the interesting thing about that too, sir, is that, uh, <clears throat> like I would mentioned this to you a while back, but uh, just for everybody's general general uh, understanding, over in 2-8, uh, we were based at Fog Cal Sioux, um, a bit away from where you guys were, but we actually got, I was in Bravo Company 2-8 Infantry, and we got spun up to potentially go help out um, if, if you guys needed help. And I know you I know you would have never asked for our help, but we had the uh, the tanks, or actually it was Bradley's because I was in a I was in a, uh, uh, infantry company. But we had uh, everything spun up and ready to go, and we were getting ready to move, and everybody's like, oh, man, this is it. We're going to get in a real fight because uh, where we were, it was uh, very much drive around and get blown up and uh, hope you make it home. Right, and that's right. that's the thing that I think folks forget too. This period of of the war in Iraq there in that two thousand five two thousand six time period, uh, being there as I was I was you know junior officer at the time. Being there, you just assume that that was the norm. You didn't realize that like that was actually a really bad time to be there, and that was actually a very dangerous time of the war. And so like in hindsight, you look back and you're like, I, there are many days when I don't know how the hell I made it home, but we did, and. Uh, you know, you could feel, especially uh, after the mosque in Samara was bombed, uh, I think it was December of 05, shortly after we got there. Yeah, February um, 06, I thought, but yeah. yeah okay, yeah. Uh, really around the springtime, you could just feel everything just kind of fall apart. And everything around you just, you know, catch fire. And you're like, man, it is yeah. getting worse as we're getting ready to leave. And uh, so that so yes, Andrew, it was, it, you're absolutely right. It was the spring, and so for my battalion, we we had we lost our first uh, soldier on uh, 28 December of 05, right? And we had Aaron Forbes killed just north of the FOB and a deeply buried IED before our TOA, right? It was it was two days before our transition of authority in, and it was the hey, welcome, welcome 167, right? I mean that was the, that's what that was, right? And we're like, okay, got it, right? This is gonna be a fight, but it was quiet from then till April. And it wasn't until April that we started to really, uh, you know, you know, get, get crazy. Right. And so, you know, we had KAs on April 12th, April 22nd and the first of May. And, uh, you know, and of course, you know, I was an English minor in college. Right. So I had to go to T.S. Eliot. Right. <laughs> April, April is the cruelest month. Right. And so, yeah, yeah, that's when it, that's when it started. And then it was a, and it was a slug fest, from then oh, yeah. until we were, you know, came yeah, out. We ripped out with the uh, 4th Brigade 25th ID. And uh, they, I mean, 
I followed it after we got back to Fort Hood for a couple months, and it was um, it was sad to watch what they were experiencing just through the casualty reports yeah. um, in, in the AO that we had. I know we had all tried so hard to help uh, make a better place. Yeah. But yeah. all right, well, sir, that terrific story, two eight infantry. We almost had to come save the day for you guys. Uh, <laughs> we'll leave we that. Really appreciate it. And then we and then we we got the uh, the glorious call to go down and, and quell the uprising in Diwania. So I think we're two two for two and zero uh, against one six seven during that deployment. But uh, two two final points as we uh, as we close here, sir. Two questions. Uh, question number one: Tank is dead? Question mark. I mean, absolutely not, right? And and so you know, again, we go back to our 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 mission right now is how do we we, we know that there is nothing technologically on the horizon that's going to supplant the infant, the tank infantry team as the premier uh, you know, military unit uh, to impose our will on others. Right. So, you know, we've got to we've got to seize, seize, you know, defeat enemy formations, seize terrain in order to control populations to deliver, uh, you know, on the on the political reasons that our civilian masters sent us to battle. Right. And so. There's nothing that's going to prevent that that's going to supplant the the tank infantry team and its ability to do that. Our challenge now is as the character war evolves, is how do we enable that, right? So what 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 does the tank need to be able to accomplish on its you know on the platform? What, what does it need to do as part of the larger formation? And then how do we how do we deal with uh, the change of character warfare, right? You know this pervasive reconnaissance piece, this you know drone swarm bit, right? And and Okay, well, we clearly there's clearly things that need to be done to to enable the formation in that environment, and that's and that's really what we've got to what we've got to figure out. But the you know, the Ukrainians are in this in this incredible fight. What do they keep asking for? They're not asking for groups, right? They're asking for tax. Yep, and, I think uh, it's we, one of the last things we sent them. Right, we should we should take we should take a lesson from that, right? The guys who are fighting are asking a, a piece of equipment. We got a we got a whole bunch of folks. And of course, we got a whole bunch of folks right in charge uh, across our army that, that have never served in an armored brigade combat team, right? And so they're they're more than willing to listen to this this you know clarion call of the of the the ill-informed. All right, last question: Mill Twitter is Mill Twitter dead? And I, I serve as the you know I, I serve as the, the you know the the sunken ship at the at the exit to the harbor to you know give everybody a warning, right? Um, the uh, yeah, I think it. I think it really is unfortunate that um, you know my my story has driven senior leaders off of um, you know off of the social media platforms. I, I think you know, again, I you know, I would talk. You know, I talked about it when I was in uniform. I've talked to it talked about it since I've come out of uniform. Um, yeah, I mean, I've got I've got two tweets that a- absolutely you can you can set me on fire for. I shouldn't shouldn't have sent them. They're both short. They're both uh, they're both snarky. Uh, they're both sent on a Saturday morning uh, when I probably had I, I needed another couple cups of coffee before I was firing all cylinders. The um, but with that said, you know, you know the whole the whole aspect of what first got me in the uh, in the you know the crosshairs of uh, the alt right folks in the world was was defending female soldiers soldiers right female so, uh, service members, you know. It, Nobody should have been able to single me out for that because everybody should have been doing it, right? right? I mean, everybody should have been doing that, yeah. right? And, 
and 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 this generation of young man and woman, you know, that's that's where they communicate. This is an evolution in communication technology. Yeah, you know, it'd be like uh, and the fact that and the fact that we've decided to, uh, you know, first off, individuals have decided for personal, you know, personal reasons. And I'm not going to do that because I don't want to. I don't want to end up with that guy. The army has pushed a bunch of folks off. We put some rules in place to make it, uh, you know, to basically turn over all social media communications to our public affairs officers. Yeah, so we won't have any candid interaction in the social media space between leaders and led. Well, that that's not that is not what this young generation is looking for, and so we have we have decided to cede that space to folks who are going to fill that narrative with whatever they want. Right. And, uh, and I just think, I, I think it's a lost opportunity. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to say that I had a, you know, my, my situation played a role in, in having that effect. Right. Appreciate your, uh, your, your candidness there, sir. It's, uh, it's unfortunate, um, that a lot of the dialogue that occurred on there is no longer there. And I think that goes back to, uh, kind of how we, how we open this conversation don't be a farnsworth right and uh i think mill twitter has gone the way of the uh the farnsworthian uh push and so i guess with that sir uh that's all i've got for you today i appreciate your time i think uh thank you very much for for cutting out some time yeah, and yeah. Uh, chatting with me and, and reminiscing uh, it's also good to, to <laughs> it's fun to talk to somebody that experienced that that Iraq 2005, 2006 time period in the same place in the same organization. Yeah. Um, because so I, I just generally don't run into people much these days that, uh, that I was there with. And so I appreciate that. But with that, sir, I'll give you the last word. Um, I, you know, the other, the other side is we talk about no, you know, no more Farnsworths, right? We, we really do need, you know, guys like you guys like Nate Jennings and, and, and some of the other folks that are, mid-grade officers that are writing and thinking very, very deeply about the profession of arms, very deeply about where we're going as a military, where, where we, you know, what we may be asked to do. And, um, and, and again, you, you serve as an example uh, to, I think, all of our, you know, non-commissioned officers and officers out there of what, you know, right looks like when it comes to intellectual engagement with our profession and then being willing to, you know, put pen to paper and put your name on, you know, what do you believe? And I, I just, I had a, I had a discussion with a colonel who's about, you know, if we get a certain senator from the deep south off his ass, uh, you know, he'll be a, he'll be a one star here, you know, within the year. And I had a long talk with him about what, what's his, what's his professional red lines, right? And so you, you have to believe in, in things, right? So you and I have had this discussion for a couple of years, right? That if, if you if if you hear a narrative uh, that you really fundamentally disagree with and you think is bad for the army, you've you've got to be willing to intellectually engage and argue for your point of view. And so you know you, you shouldn't have to be a four star to have a voice. You gotta you gotta find that voice early. And then, it, you know, it should be intellectually underpinned and you should be able to make those arguments. So thanks for your example. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, 
all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.